I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Atlanta Braves were founded in 1871 and are the oldest continuously operating professional sports franchise in America. After being in existence for over 150 years, there are countless unbelievable moments, monumental games, and legendary teams from the franchise's history. This is the story of one of those teams, as told by people who were there. Behind the Braves presents Win in Rome. At the end of the 2014 Major League Baseball regular season, the Atlanta Braves were in need of a new direction. The big league team had begun the year with much hope and lofty expectations, and they stayed in contention for the National League East title throughout the first half of the season. However, a late season collapse saw them finish the year four games below 500 and 17 games out of first place. To make matters worse, the team's farm system was lacking in big league prospects, and by most prognosticators' rankings, the system was among the worst in Major League Baseball. This, combined with the fact that the big league club's roster had multiple players nearing free agency, made for a possibly unpleasant future for the team. Therefore, the front office decided it was time for a reset. Traded away were popular big league players like Jason Hayward, Justin Upton, and Craig Kimbrell. And in return came a flurry of minor league prospects and draft picks. 2015 would see much of the same with the big league team as it hovered around 500 for the first half of the year before faltering throughout the second half and finishing in fourth place in the National League East with a dismal 67-95 and record. Despite the struggles of the big league team, Braves fans were beginning to learn some of the names of potential future Atlanta Braves stars. Players like Ozzie Albies and the newly acquired Dansby Swanson were creating a lot of buzz, and fans were excited to track their progress through the upper levels of minor league baseball throughout the season, anxiously awaiting their big league debuts. Indeed, there was much to be hopeful about at the AAA and AA levels of the Braves farm system. But what perhaps a lot of fans didn't know was that there was something special being built at the lower levels, too. In the 18 months since the disappointing end to the 2014 Atlanta Braves season, the front office had stockpiled a massive wave of young talent, both through trades and the Major League Baseball draft. And while nobody knew it yet, this talented band of mostly teenagers would lay the foundation for a historic run of excellence of Atlanta Braves baseball. They may not have been household names at the time, but youngsters such as Austin Riley, Max Fried, and an unheralded scrawny outfielder from Venezuela named Ronald Acuna Jr. were headed to Rome, Georgia, to play for the single-A 2016 Rome Braves. Former Rome Braves broadcaster, Kevin Carroll. The impression that I had been given from the baseball operations people was, um, you know, this is going to be a an extended period of trying to make sure that the this, these young players, that we give them every possible chance, every possible resource, this is going to be the future of the organization. And um, Jonathan Scherholtz was 
there a lot. He was the assistant director of player development at that time. Um, he and Dave Tremblay were both there a lot and they were kind of, without having to say it, you could kind of tell like what their main focus, even across all of the minor leagues that year was they had a lot of their, you know, eggs in that Rome basket, a huge percentage of the talent in the organization was there. Former Braves assistant director of player development and current advanced scout, Jonathan Scherholz. It happened to be that this is where all of the, uh, after the draft that we had, after some trades that we made, uh, we knew that that age group or that, that um, prospect level was going to be kind of the start of the wave that when it got to Atlanta, that was going to be our opening. Um, and it just so happened to be at Rome that year. Former Rome Braves general manager and current vice president and general manager of Northport Spring Training, Mike Dunn. Yeah, I know there was excitement for the heralded players that were coming up, the, you know, Max Freeds and Austin Riley's of the world. And we were excited to have them on the team and just hope that we would put everything together and be able to have longevity with the same roster. Because as you know, in the minor leagues, you know, the rosters aren't consistent all the time. You have a player that's excelling and they try to move them pretty quick. So having a continuity and having all those guys stay together was really something we were all looking forward to. Broadcaster, Kevin Carroll. Mike and uh, Jim Jones, our assistant GM at the time, had given me the impression that we we're going to be, you know, stacked. D don't know how it's going to go. You never know what an 18-year-old in a full-season league is going to do, how they're going to respond. But there's going to be basically everyone that got a significant bonus in the previous draft is going to be in Rome. You know, in minor league baseball, even on a full-season team in low A, it would be common to have one, maybe two prospects. Maybe even one who's like a big guy who's like a top 10 pick or something. Uh, and then maybe you got one or two other, you know, somewhat prospects. This Braves team had, you know, 13 guys made the big leagues from that team. Multiple, multiple first round picks from both the Braves and from other clubs. There was, you know, it was a who's who roster. Pitcher, A.J. Minter. I mean, if you just look at the roster that we had, it was obviously we we're Looking back now, we were obviously stacked. Um, just the the core that we had, all the, you know, from all the draft picks that were coming up, um, it was just a good group. Um, but like I said, you, you, we didn't really know what was to come from it. Broadcaster, Kevin Carroll. There was a ton of excitement, absolutely. And I mean, for me as a broadcaster, there's excitement anyway, because I love baseball and I'm doing it every day. What could be better than that, you know? So there's all, especially the start of a new season, it's so much fun and and you're uh, just excited for what is to come. But to have, to know that a team was gonna be that loaded and um, you don't always get the same feeling from like third party publication people and actual scouting people about where guys are um, or about even where an organization like you know, they do arbitrary, well, the organization's 22nd in total talent or eighth. I mean, who knows? But there was consensus between the third party people and the actual scouts that you see, at least at that time, they were pretty prominent. Every team still had a lot of in-person scouts and you had spring training and early series. They were like, oh man, I don't, you guys are just, are loaded. With the future of the Atlanta Braves organization depending upon the development of this wave of talented youngsters, the front office knew that having the right manager in place to lead this group at Rome was essential. 
So they turned to a man they knew they could trust, Randy Engel, a man who literally dedicated his entire 40-year career in professional baseball to the Atlanta Braves. Engel, a native of Forest City, North Carolina, was a promising young prospect who came just a few points shy of leading the nation in hitting during his junior year at Appalachian State in the late 1970s. I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves in 1979, and uh, I went to Kingsport, Tennessee. And I was at Kingsport in rookie ball for about a month, and then they sent me to Double A, and uh, finished up in Double A. And then the next year, I started back in Double A, and blew my knee out. And this was early in the season. I missed the rest of the year. Back then, they wanted one or two doctors that did orthoscopic surgery. And they said, if you didn't have that done, if they cut my knee, I'd be out automatically for the year. So they just tried treatment and it didn't work. So anyway, I missed that season. Then I got bypassed. Despite the devastating injury, Randy Engel was intent on continuing his career as a professional baseball player. However, at the behest of Braves Vice President and Director of Player Development, Hank Aaron, Engel's career would soon take a turn. We were in uh, spring training and it came down to the day before we left spring training to go to our teams and teams were set pretty much. And then on that, that night, the next to the last day before we left, uh, they made a trade and got a guy from a prospect uh, by the name of Steve Curry. Hank calls me in the next morning and said that uh, what had happened and that he was going to have to let me go. So anyway, I packed my bags, left the next morning, drove all the way to Savannah where my wife was and got a phone call that my grandfather had passed away. So now I'm loading up to drive to Forest City for that. And uh, Hank calls me right before I left and said, uh, listen, we made a mistake. I really would like for you to consider coming back and being a player coach and coaching in our organization. You know, and I told him what had happened with my grandfather. And he said, well, just give me a call in the next day or two. And, and so I did and I went back and uh, that's, the way my coaching career started. Engel's new position as a player coach was a unique opportunity in that it allowed him to continue playing the game he loved while also gaining experience as a professional coach. At the end of my career, the last three years, I was a player coach for Mr. Aaron because I could play really any position and they could send me to A ball, double A, triple A without moving a bunch of pieces. So I, somebody would get hurt, I'd be activated. I'd play, and then if they come back off, I'd go back on the coaching side of it. And uh, it's kind of like an insurance policy. And I did that until uh, I started, really, 1988, I uh, became a full-time coach. Over the next three decades, Randy Engel would put his stamp on the development of young Braves prospects throughout every step of the minor league system, and in seemingly every town in the Southeast. I'm a managed at every level in the Braves organization. Started out in Pulaski, I was there three years. From there I went to Macon, Georgia. Then I went to Durham, North Carolina. And then I went to Greenville. And then I went to Richmond. And then back to Macon. And then to Greenville. Then after that I went back to Durham. And then I went to Rome, Georgia. And then I went to Myrtle Beach and back to Rome. And Danville. 
The 2016 Rome Braves were clearly a talented team, but they were by far the youngest team in the league and one of the youngest teams in all of minor league baseball. And it showed. In the first half of the season, the Rome Braves limped to the All-Star break with a 27-43 record, only narrowly escaping finishing in last place. Austin Riley sums it up quite succinctly. First half, record-wise, didn't go great. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Broadcaster, Kevin Carroll. They took some lumps, and I think for a lot of those guys, they were, you know, they were challenged by going to full season ball when they were 18 years old. And the jump from complex baseball, from, you know, the old GCL, a complex league where you're, you don't travel really at all. There, there's no overnight travel, that type of thing. You're just basically there at the facility all the time. And then Danville, which was the step from GCL then. And then at the time, Atlanta went from Danville all the way to full season in Rome. That's a big jump. Atlanta was one of very few teams at that time that didn't have a uh, an advanced short season league like in uh, the old New York Penn League or Northwest League. They didn't have a team at that level, so it was a bigger jump for their guys. And they would it was pretty routine to go GCL. They would even you know take them straight GCL into into Rome sometimes. And um, a few of those guys had, you know, gotten a month's worth of at-bats in Danville, but that was, that's rookie ball, the old Appalachian League. That's a big jump. So it, it, there was definitely some lumps that first couple of months. You know, Austin started slow, just wasn't, um, yeah, that's that's a different kind of pitching than those guys have ever seen. And when once you get into full season, especially the guys that are going to break camp with a team in full season, those are generally going to be college pitchers, guys that went to four-year schools. The average age at the time of the South Atlantic League, I remember, was 22, was the average age. So those guys are, you know, on average, quite a bit older. I, I know I grew up a lot between 18 and 22. That's a big jump. And... It was for those guys and, you know, they, it just wasn't, it wasn't coming together for a while. Randy Engel. I knew we were going to be young. Matter of fact, we had the youngest team in in the league. Uh, we were under the average age for that league. And I knew we were going to take our lumps probably the first half. But uh, we were going to have to take our lumps and stay with the process. And I uh, was very, very excited about managing that team. Despite the rough start, there was still much to be excited about with the young 2016 Rome Braves. In addition to the many first-rounders and highly touted prospects on the roster, a relatively unknown outfielder was starting to make his mark on the team. Kevin Carroll. You go to all these different ballparks across the South Atlantic League, and the first couple months of the season, even though the team was losing, all the other broadcasters, you know, the scouts, everyone was just kind of in awe of what the team was on paper and what it had the potential to be and what they didn't know then which we all know now is that ronald acuna jr he didn't go by junior at that time but uh that ronnie was this scrawny you know kid that at that time was pretty much an unknown he was not a big bonus player but they kept you know in spring training he looked good I remember people talking to me about him then. I was like, well, he probably won't break camp. He'll go to Danville, you know, just for another cup of coffee in June or whatever. But then he did break camp. 
and they just you know couldn't you you can't deny him when he's consistently the best guy on the field and he had no hype really very minimal going starting that year in Rome but Randy wrote him in as the opening day he's the leadoff hitter the team knew that he was a player they didn't know he was going to be a hall of famer an MVP but be on a hall of fame track in his mid-20s but they knew he was good they knew he was better than people realized that he was and right from the jump I mean he he was in center he was a lot uh you know he was just he was a kid he just was he hadn't filled out yet but the bat speed was there the raw talent was there and he just uh he took off while the team wasn't winning nearly as often as they had hoped they were positives to be taken away from the early portion of the 2016 season pitchers such as mike soroka were establishing themselves as legitimate major league prospects and through 30 games the previously mostly unknown ronald acuna jr was batting 300 and beginning to show his immense potential. Kevin Carroll. There was, you know, some guys were good the whole season. Soroka was good the whole year. He didn't have any ups and downs, really any fluctuations. He was the youngest player, I think, in the league. He had turned, he had just turned 18. He was 18 the whole year. So he had turned, he was 17 when he was drafted and had turned 18, I think, that fall. So he was not far away from his 18th birthday at spring training. So just, I mean, very, very young. Acuna, same way, had just turned 18. And Acuna was actually, was, I thought, their best player that first month or so, maybe four, six weeks. And then he broke his thumb at the base, sliding into second head first. And it was, you know, he was, he jumped up, you know, he's in pain. It was terrible. And so he missed, he was out from May to August. He missed basically three months with recovery, you know, and then that's your, your thumb. So you got to learn how to get your strength back to grip the bat, to do all of those baseball activities takes a little bit of time. So he was gone after that. And the team was not good. So like, well, now what? Pitcher, Max Freed. I remember it was, like you said, a lot of growing pains. Uh, I was coming off of Tommy John my first season back. I was still trying to find my footing. I know Ronald was doing really well, but then he had gotten hurt. Despite the devastating injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. and the team's poor first half record, there were positives to be found in the young team's roster. Infielder Luke Dykstra, outfielder Ray Patrick Ditter, catcher Jonathan Morales, and pitchers Patrick Weigel and Mike Soroka were all selected to play in the 2016 South Atlantic League All-Star Game in Lexington, Kentucky. And in addition to having five All-Stars, those who were with the 2016 Rome Braves every day could see signs of the tide turning. Kevin Carroll. It's it's 140 games. Even in, it's not a full 162, but even in a minor league season, it's a long season. That's over five months and you're just grinding away. That was always the, you know, the phrase from Randy. We're grinding one day at a time, one city at a time. We're just gonna keep getting better. And they did. And then there was kind of a late spark, I thought, right before the All-Star break. They had a couple of walk-off wins that last homestand. And not necessarily that they were playing so much better. They were playing better, but not like how it was going to be. But there was some like, like a spark of some kind. And Randy said, as they were leaving that Sunday to go to All-Star, he said, just flush it. We were 26 and 43 in the first half. Our best baseball is ahead of us. We're coming back. It's a whole new, and in minor leagues, it is. Day one of the second half, everybody's zero and zero again. There's a first half champ and a second half champ. He said, flush it. We're coming back, and we're going to be a much better team after the All-Star break. And they were. 
Randy Engel. You can see the guys coming on. I mean, we just had some guys that really came on and and got to where we were hoping that they'd get to at the first of the season. And they put it together, and they the team just jailed so good. Kevin Carroll. I think naturally that there was just more confidence because they were used to it by that point. Those first couple road trips when you're brand new and you're, I mean, for a lot of those kids, they were in hotel rooms for the first time. Um, I remember when there was snow in Asheville and some of the Latin American kids came out and were just looking up, you know, like children. They'd never seen snow. And they were, you know, just things like that to where you're exposed to things you've never seen before um, and in climates that they weren't used to in some in some cases. So it was just they were just getting used to basically becoming professional baseball players. Max Freed. I think it was just a big taste of a lot of guys' first full seasons. A lot of guys just coming back, getting their feet wet into pro ball. And then I think once the, you know, that kind of, well, I'm playing professional baseball and I'm doing this every day and I'm trying to figure out what to expect. I think we kind of got in a routine and a rhythm and guys just got comfortable and started playing some good baseball. Kevin Carroll. Another thing about the guys then and really throughout the season that I think kind of felt like it would bode well for when the team got healthier and got a little more experience was that they all really liked each other. That was a, a very tightly wound team. I've covered teams that were good and didn't all like each other that much. And I've covered bad teams both ways, but this was a, a team that was really talented was solid and they were all friends like they really the makeup of the team was really strong and i think that was a reflection also of randy's leadership on that club randy engel we all got together so good and just uh got along and and just stayed positive and and communicated and um you knew with the talent these young guys had you know if you could just keep them striving you know to get better every day and stay positive that uh, they had a chance to do something special austin riley you know i think it, the we had a really good group um you know we don't do it anymore but we did kangaroo court at the time um and just like i remember just like you know doing that every every homestand of just like guys were were super light with it, it was super fun um and i think we all meshed well because uh, a lot of us were, like, like I said, that was our first full season. So we're just like trying to figure out how professional baseball works. Um, and, and I think, you know, being with those guys and, and being with them, you know, now uh, looking back, uh, I think it just, you know, you kind of appreciate the moments and, and going through those struggles with guys that now you can relate to and, and like look back. And, and I think the, the stories that we, you know, we talk about in the clubhouse with the guys that, that were there, I think that's what you, you cherish the most. Jonathan Sherholtz. I think it's the personalities of the, those guys in the clubhouse. Um, it was their their desire to play as a team, which you don't find in the minor leagues, especially amongst uh, prospect latent teams. I think it's very special when you have you either have usually a team, uh, a group that's a team first, and you all, or you have a prospect latent team. Very rarely do those two converge where you have a prospect latent team that plays as a team, and that's what made that group so special. They're just the makeup was off the charts, the the desire to win night night in night out, and and just the 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 consistency with which they went through their day. They went. Uh, it was 
whether they were getting their brains beaten in the first half, they'd go out. Randy Engel did an amazing job as their manager. He was the perfect guy to have in that role because he maintained such a level of calmness for those guys. And it's their first full season for most of them. Uh, there's a lot of ups and downs that go along with it, especially in the first half. There were a lot of downs, but they stayed consistent with the work, the pregame stuff, uh, all of the, the pregame activity, all of their uh, defensive drills. Everything was was maintained at a level, a very high level, and that played out a lot quicker than we thought it did, and they turned it around in the second half. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Having been drafted 41st overall in the 2015 MLB Draft, Austin Riley was one of the highest-ranked new Atlanta Braves prospects. In his 2015 season in rookie ball at the Gulf Coast League Braves and Danville Braves, Riley hit 12 home runs and batted over 300 with an OPS over 900 in 60 games. So, naturally, there were a lot of eyeballs on Riley as he entered his first full professional season at Rome in 2016. And, much like the team itself, Riley struggled in the first half of the season, hitting only three home runs and racking up a litany of errors at third base. But after the All-Star break, things started looking up for the young prospect, Kevin Carroll. Coming out of that break, you knew that Austin had started to turn things around just with his approach. One one major change where you knew something was going to, you know, the switch was going to flip was the strikeout rate was coming down. The walk rate was going up. So he's obviously seeing the ball better. Max Freed. Austin was, you know, he he was struggling, but it was just kind of the, the story of him, like in the minor leagues. He'd always kind of have a little bit of a, a slow first half and then just absolutely explode in the second half. Austin Riley. You know, I think the, the biggest thing for me was just like, you know, remembering like, it was like a whole thing of like learning like the, the talks of you know, from Twitter of like how I wasn't doing well, like the strikeouts numbers are there. I was like, I had one homer like in the first half to, um, you know, I had 30 errors that year. So it was like the defense is the defense wasn't there. Um, so I think like just like learning how to deal with that. I, I still remember uh, to this day going home for the all-star break um, and me and my dad were hitting and just, you know, just like the biggest thing that he preached was like, just be yourself. Like, you know, like the talent's there. It's just a matter of like going out there and, and putting it, putting it in play. And, you know, I, I think that like going into the second half, it was just like more of like a carefree type of style play. Um, and ended up hitting, I think 19 homers, got finished with 20. Um, you know, we got super hot. Um, that was like my first real vision of, you know, Ronald of what he was, you know, obviously what he's doing now, getting to see him from Mike Soroka to Tukey. Um, I mean, at Colby Aller, the, the list kind of goes on of, of, of position players and pitchers and just that team. And, and you know, Randy Eagle, our manager, uh, I still have, you know, at the end of the year, he signed the, because the, I had, I think I had 20 homers, 80 RBIs. You know, he signed it for me, like the, the scorecard when I got 80 RBIs, signed it for me. It was at the end of the year, it was pretty, pretty sweet. Randy Eagle. Austin Riley didn't, he struggled a little bit first half. He was more. At that time, he was more of a gap-to-gap -gap hitter. We didn't want, you know, a young guy like that 
the hardest thing to teach is going the other way and just kind of waiting back on the ball, you know, let it travel. And uh, we knew he had power, but uh, you didn't want to really mess with a young guy too early on pulling, pulling. And so right before the end of the first half, they said, okay, it's time, you know, to start working on that and to get the feel on keeping his hands inside and getting the backspin, you know, on pulling a ball because the balls in the first half, a lot of times balls he did pull, he would hook and they'd go foul. So their hitting coordinator came in, Bobby, started working on that. And uh, all of a sudden he got the feel for it. And he didn't take away from his gap to gap hitting, but he got the feel for it. And I mean, hit some balls that might still be going, but uh, he was incredible. Hard worker, we used to work ground balls and reaction drills and slow rollers. Uh, he's, he's one of the best at that, you know, him and Chipper. And just an all around great person. His personality and everything is off the chart. I always said if I had another son, I'd like for it to be like him, you know. I mean, uh, because he's just uh, such a good guy and such a hard worker. In addition to Austin Riley's scorching hot second half, there were perhaps some other magical forces working in Rome's favor, courtesy of Mother Nature. Mike Dunn. So weird. Baseball's got all these little nuances that, you know, superstitions, whatever you may call them. But um, the dragonfly, Randy Engel's wife saw and uh, called Randy and said, you know, I saw a dragonfly and that's a sign of good luck. Good luck tonight in the game. Randy Engel. My wife, we'd been, I think we'd lost a few games or something. And I talked to my wife that afternoon and she said, guess what I saw today? And I said, well, she said, a dragonfly. I was getting in the car to go to work and uh, there's a dragonfly flying over my windshield. And we hadn't seen a dragonfly in years. And uh, she said, you know what that means? And I said, no, she said, it means good luck. I said, that's your lucky charm. And I said, okay. And <laughs> didn't think much about it. And that evening, we're at the ballpark and we're going out to stretch. There was dragonflies all over the place, flying over the outfield grass. And I told some of the coaches and some of the players, I said, you know what that means, don't you? I said, that means good luck. It's a dragonfly. And everybody's, okay, okay. <laughs> well, we ended up winning that night. Next day we come out, we saw, we'd see another one. And it's unbelievable because everybody started looking for them. And it was, you know, they, they were amazed that uh, every time we'd see one, we'd win a game. Kevin Carroll. It took on a, um, I guess, a an aura, kind of like a mystique. And everyone was like, oh, every time they saw a dragonfly, they thought it was magical. Like it was just some kind of good luck charm. Mike Dunn. From that day forward, from that day forward, every single day, we saw a dragonfly. We saw dragonflies during BP. We saw dragonflies at the pool, at the hotel. We saw dragonflies at the bus after the game. It was the darndest thing you've ever seen in your life. Upon the first dragonfly sighting, the Rome Braves began a nine-game winning streak that propelled them into the fight for the South Atlantic League's second-half title. And the dragonflies weren't the only good luck charm sent from Mother Nature. Randy Engel. Well, we're uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, and we're in the dugout during the game. 
and all of a sudden I'm out coaching third, and which is right in front. Well, all of a sudden all my players come running out of the dugout. I'm going, where are they? You know, where are they going? Kevin Carroll. I always had my phone in case someone in the dugout needed to give me some information. So I would occasionally get a text from someone in the, in uniform about something that was going on just to be able to let people know or for just to know. And I was like, what? You know, all of a sudden they're calling for uh, the hitter to come out. and He's not coming out. So you're just sitting there as a broadcaster like, what is what is going on? And we're in Charleston again, afternoon game must have been 200 degrees it was so hot so it was july in charleston that ballpark sits on the water so my paper my paperwork used to curl up from the humidity in that booth i mean unbelievable the weather there and so it's just you know you're 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 trying to get through this game baking while you do it and then you're they're, they're not starting the inning like what is going on come on let's go and get this text that says we are delayed there is wildlife in the dugout and he said excuse me (laughs) and said of course text back what kind said family of raccoons mike dunn i was there charleston south carolina day game um the dugout got uh Got taken over by a couple of wild raccoons, and uh, I believe we were in the second inning or so, and the game had to stop because all the players scurried out of the dugout because this raccoon was running down the tunnel through the dugout floor. Randy Engel. There was raccoons behind the trash cans under the bat racks, and everybody was running from them. And then all but Castro. Castro's a big, you know, he'll wrestle a bear. He's down there trying to catch him with a bat. And uh, it took forever before they could get him out of our dugout. They had security and everybody come. Ushers. Kevin Carroll. I guess they had been rooting around in the trash maybe and then got scared. And then two of the, it was a mother and two babies, as I recall. And um, as you know, ballparks are outdoors. Not unusual to see a squirrel, a cat, multiple cat instances, whatever. But raccoons was the first, and two of them got into the uh, bat rack. And so, I mean, you can imagine how long that took. So we were delayed 15, 20 minutes, and uh, Carlos, our first baseman, eventually used the garbage can to and a bat to kind of chase them all into the can, and then the grounds crew took them away. And um, that was quite a quite a moment. Mike Dunn. And so play stopped, and the grounds crew did a remarkable job in Charleston. They came and ultimately caught them in a trash can, caught them in a trash can. But it really uh, um, changed the course of that game, and really changed the way that everything looked. Because if we could, you know, fi- if we could fight off wild raccoons, we certainly can win in Augusta. So <laughs> it was just kind of an omen of, of things to come for that year, for sure. Randy Engel. We ended up coming back in that game after that, and won that game. And that was another sign, Mike Dunn said, you know, with the raccoons being our good luck charm. Kevin Carroll. We joked that there was Rome Braves winning winning percentage pre-raccoon and post-raccoon. And uh, post-raccoon was very high. And, <laughs> but there was some run-ins with wildlife 
on that on that team. Just stuff that you would never. I mean, I could go the rest of my life, I think, without seeing a raccoon on a baseball field. After the visit from the raccoon family and the arrival of the dragonflies, the Rome Braves suddenly found themselves firmly in contention for the second half South Atlantic League title. And it just so happened that there was another milestone that they were chasing, Kevin Carroll. You know, so you have the, the raccoon incident, that series, they end up winning that series, we move on. And shortly after that, the long winning streak happens. Then, um, what a lot of people didn't know that I knew, that I know that he didn't want the attention for it, but I felt like he deserved the attention for it, so I would put it out on Twitter, was, you know, Randy Engel's approaching 1,500 wins as a manager. Ultimately, those two, the winning streak and the 1,500 wins that intersected. And you were chasing, you had Augusta and Asheville and Rome were in the hunt. So you go to Asheville, uh, for those that don't know, that is a really tough park. Um, you may be most familiar with it from Bull Durham. That's where Kevin Costner eventually ends up after he leaves Durham as he's in Asheville. Um, and the ballpark basically still looks the same as it did from that movie in the 80s, a little bit different, but pretty similar. That was a place that had been really tough on the Braves over the years, tough place to win. Very small, very hitter friendly, by far the most hitter friendly park in the, in the league. And it had been tough on our pitchers when we had been there earlier in the year. We had uh, famously lost a game that first road trip. Everybody's brand new. Everybody's playing together for the first time. Had the lead and a pop-up on the infield dropped between the third baseman and the pitcher's mound. And that allowed the tying run to score. So it had just, you know, there was already like some bad memories from being there earlier in the year. And this time... It was a different team. Acuna had come back. Colby Allard was healthy and with the team and pitching very well. Max Freed was on a heater. Um, and of course, Mike Soroka was uh, was pitching very well too. Uh, Tukey had really found a groove at that time. And Riley was, you know, at a, basically an MVP pace for the, for the league. So the team is absolutely on fire going back in there and bang 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 swept a four-game series in Asheville from them and in two of those games were down in the ninth came back to win and you know just kind of felt like you had exercised some demons coming out of that and it was a wraparound series it was a Friday to Monday so you win the first three games and Randy's at 1499 and then you couldn't keep it quiet anymore then everybody knows Randy Engel you know, we were fighting for it. I'll never forget. We ended up, it was August in Asheville, uh, playing the tourist. And uh, we were on the street. We ended up beating Asheville uh, that night. And we took over first place. Because Augusta ended up losing like a couple of games out of three or whatever. And we ended up taking over first place. And uh, it was a special night. Uh, I got... Uh, that was my 15th hundred win. Kevin Carroll. And uh, that was an awesome post-game speech. You know, just Mike talking about what Randy had meant to the organization, to the Rome Braves, to that team. And he was so uh, 
and is still so beloved by that group of players that, you know, really respected him. And he's a great baseball man. And um, that was a huge, huge night. But the, the bus was delayed an extra probably 15, 20 minutes so he could take some uh, some interview phone calls over the phone. And, uh, you know, felt kind of bad doing it. And I was like, Skip, got another one. You got to, you know, and he didn't want to, you don't want to do it on the bus because it's loud. So came off to the interviews and they did some great stories on him. And just I was so happy for him, you know, just to get that recognition. Not only was it a great team, but uh, led by a great man, too. The admiration and love for Rome Skipper was evident by all members of the team. Mike Dunn. One of my all time most favorite people in the world gives me goosebumps. Um, what a great example of a man, uh, a family man, a leader, uh, a teammate. Uh, doors always open. Never chastised the player publicly. Expected the most out of you. Gave you all of the tools and room that you need to excel and to exceed in your in your line of business. A lot of the characteristics of Bobby Cox. A lot of the characteristics of Brian Snedker. Just a great human being that cared about the player, cared about the development. And his hand and his stamp is on a lot of the players in this organization today. A guy that spent 40 years with the organization. Uh, somebody that you just can't replace, but a huge, huge, huge asset to the development of these guys. After securing Randy Ingalls' 1500th win, the Rome Braves and Augusta Green Jackets would lock up in a back-and-forth battle for the remainder of the regular season for the second-half South Atlantic League title. Randy Ingle. And now we're leaving Asheville. we got to go to Augusta and play Augusta the last series of the season. So we had to win two games. And the first night, uh, we got rained out. So we're having to play a doubleheader the next night. And... You know, it's kind of hard sometimes winning a doubleheader. Kevin Carroll. You know, going in, you win both in the doubleheader, you clinch. Nailbiter win in the first game, and then the second game, Max Freed on the mound, pitched amazing. Uh, Cunha had a had a triple in that game, end up winning, clinch. Looking back on it, it's kind of fun to have won there because at that time, those teams are pretty big rivals of course Augusta again is a, a you know in the Braves family now but they weren't at that time and those teams have played some really hard fought um, aggressive hard-nosed games that uh, that year and it was uh, another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It was a blast. With the second half title secured, the Rome Braves looked toward the first round of the postseason. Kevin Carroll. The structure the playoff structure at that time was the first half and second half champions played and the first half champion had home field so the way they did that was the second half champ hosted game one and then the first half champ would host game two and if necessary game three and it was a best of three series so the first game was at our place and the game one starter in every round was mike soroka swing and a miss he got him off speed that is the inning strikeout for mike soroka Mike got the ball, absolute gem. Won that game easily. Never, never really a huge challenge in game one. Despite a great start from Colby Allard, 
A late bullpen hiccup resulted in a Rome loss in game two. Kevin Carroll. And that was probably in the entire second half. That was probably the lowest point. That was um, that clubhouse that night. That was really because everyone you thought you, you thought it was over, you know, having a lead in the eighth and ninth inning and um, just couldn't hold it. It's baseball. It happens. But um, guys are very down. And I remember, you know, being a very quiet bus ride back and thinking, OK, it's, you know, see what happens in game three. One well, game three. Max Freed got the ball and pitched. As we would uh, later learn, he was the clinch guy. He clinched. Max had the ball for the second half clinch in the game in Augusta in the regular season. Had the ball in Charleston for game three of three, the, the ultimate, you know, do or die game. And they won that. The big hero offensively was Austin Riley in that third game. Like Augusta, you know, that was a team. You just, your division foes, you just grow to kind of dislike. You play them so much and there's, I don't want to say bad blood, but it just felt good to beat. Uh, and Charleston at that time was affiliated with the Yankees. No, no one likes the Yankees. I mean, you don't, you don't want that. So that felt good. Winning that felt good. And Charleston had had some success, um, you know, in the league and had, you know, they had recently had Aaron Judge and uh, they had a lot of, it felt like kind of a team that got a lot of attention. So it felt good to go there and stuff it down their throats as, as we did. After securing a first round victory, it all came down to one final opponent, the Lakewood Blue Claws. The winner would be declared 2016 South Atlantic League champions. Kevin Carroll. Unlike facing Augusta and Charleston all the time, this was actually a team you never quite knew in that time. It was an unbalanced schedule. You might face a team in the Northern Division the regular season. You might not. As it turned out, Lakewood was a team they had not faced uh, in the regular season at all. So that was a kind of a unique thing. Felt maybe like an old school World Series pre-interleague play. We're like, oh, we're seeing them for the first first time all year in the championship series. You didn't really know that much about them because you hadn't seen them firsthand. You'd seen video on Twitter and stuff, but not a lot of up close and personal. So they come in first game, shut us down. And uh, again, Mike pitched that first game, pitched well, but they just couldn't score. Second game is also at home. It was first round's best of three, second round's best of five. So game two, Rome's down 1-0 at home. You need you can't lose the first two at home and then go to their place, right? So Tukey gets the ball, pitches brilliantly, win that game. And that was a big sigh of relief because then it felt like, okay, we've got a little... Really, that first game, you just never was... Just really never into it. And that was maybe a moment where you thought, well, we haven't seen this team. Maybe they are better. Maybe we're not the best team in the league. These guys look pretty good. First time we've seen them, they got a better record that shut us down in the first game, but that wasn't the case. 3-1 coming to Riley. Swinging a shot. That ball is blasted out to left center. It is going. It is a gutter. Way gone off the jumbotron. Austin Riley says goodbye. His first playoff home run after popping 20 in the regular season. And the Rome Braves have a 3 to nothing lead here in inning number three. You win some, you lose some. Second game, they they got back in the winner's circle. Tukey, as I said, pitched great. And then it was off to New Jersey. You had the off day, so everyone was rested. And then you came back for games three, knowing you needed at least two more games because they had split the first two. 
and Randy had Colby Allard lined up for game three and Max Fried lined up for game four. And then if there was a game five, Soroka was going to pitch again. So you just, you felt good like no matter what happened, you had a horse that was going to be on the mound. Somebody that was going to give you a great shot to win. That's really how it turned out. You know, you, you come in there, the team had it was playing with a ton of confidence. Colby pitched great in, uh, in game three. Acuna and Riley both homered. And then in game four, Max had a game for the ages, broke the Rome Braves all-time single game strikeout record and um, they just they just went up there and took care of business unbeatable down the stretch the Rome Braves trying to win three straight and take the championship on their home field three two got him that's it the Rome Braves have won it Klaus will be mobbed at the mound the Rome Braves are your 2016 South Atlantic League champions Max Freed felt really good taking the ball. Uh, I remember being in in uh, it was Lakewood and just kind of like waiting around, nervous energy all day, and just wanted to go out there and felt decently well and had a really good curveball that day. And I remember I struck out a few people and I think I got in like the seventh or something. But yeah, I remember just everyone was so elated and happy and excited, and we were all partying and. Majority of the guys were, you know, under 21. So it was a lot of Martinelli's and apple juice and things like that. But yeah, no, it was, it was memorable. I remember, I still, I still remember the pictures that we had taken the clubhouse there and uh, those guys. And it was a, uh, it was a really special experience. Austin Riley. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, I still remember, I still got pictures that, that pop up on my phone um, to this day um, of just, you know, guys celebrating, um, you know, it's just, uh, it was, it was fun. It was like the first time that, you know, obviously I won in, I won a state championship in high school, but like that felt like that was like the one first time of like actually like winning and like, it like, it meant something, you know, a little bit bigger than, um, than anything that I had ever done before. Cause like I said, you, you're playing with, you know, guys that are fighting for jobs. Um, and I think that, that, that alone right there kind of means a, a little bit more. Randy Engel. One of the happiest times of my life, I mean, and the proudest times of my life to see these guys come and experience that. With the 2016 South Atlantic League Championship secured, it was time for the Young Braves team to head back to Rome. And as is often the case in the minor leagues, this trip would be taken the old fashioned way by bus. Mike Dunn. So we, we clinched it in game four in Lakewood. We had a great contingency of fans, a remarkable showcase of fans that had traveled from Rome our front office was well represented and we had a we had a very nice celebration in the, on the field and in the clubhouse and the celebration obviously went back into the hotel with the families and and such it was a remarkable time where everybody was just merely exhausted from the the run of 144 game schedule type of thing however uh, I think some of the celebration probably got a little excessive and they forgot that we had an eight o'clock bus the next morning for a 14 hour trip back to Rome, of which was relatively rough. Randy Engel. We didn't go to bed too early that night. We stayed up and uh, some some guys didn't, I don't guess got any sleep, but uh, some, some of us got a couple hours sleep maybe. Kevin Carroll. I was over 21, so I have woken up and felt better 
than I did that next morning. But uh, in, <laughs> you know, people in baseball think you're going to, we're going to have a good time, but we're going to get back to business early and no one's sleeping in. So we didn't. And we were on the road by, I want to say probably like quarter to eight, something like that. And that had not been an, a, an early evening. I'll just put it that way. And um, I want to say probably like 15, 16 hours. We, we, I mean, it was, it was a long, long bus ride. Mike Dunn. Everybody made it and everybody was accounted for. Uh, but we had to make multiple stops for food in addition to fuel. Um, the most remarkable part of that was our office in uh, Rome during the time when we knew that we clinched was putting together a celebration party. So when we rolled into State Mutual Stadium at 1130 that night, there were thousands of people in the parking lot, fire trucks, ambulances. We had pizza. We had I mean, it was a celebration and the community really was able to embrace the team. We had a stage, we addressed, brought the players up at midnight, you know, and addressed the crowd. And it was just our way of saying thanks back to the community in Rome because they weathered it with us and we weren't able to win it at home. We won it on the road, but we brought the tro trophy, we brought the team, we brought the buses, we brought the pizza, we brought everything. And it was a, a remarkable event that I, I venture to say these guys will remember forever in their life. Randy Engel. Amazing. We had a, a police escort for, I don't know, it might have been 20 miles. I mean, it was a long way out. And we get to the stadium and the, and the parking lot is full of our fans. And they had a stage put up and uh, fans, we, we just celebrated, you know, like crazy. And it was just so special. Mike Dunn and the, the city of Rome put together, did a great job, great job. After barely avoiding finishing in last place in the first half of the season, the 2016 Rome Braves not only won the South Atlantic League Championship, but were named Minor League Team of the Year by Baseball America. Randy Engel. I mean, to be named the Team of the Year in all of Minor League Baseball, and I think they were, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was like a, out of 140 teams, maybe, and uh, to be voted the, the Team of the Year just... Uh, I don't know, that was the icing on the cake. Even the magical dragonflies were recognized for their contributions to the historic season. Kevin Carroll. I mean, they put it on the they put it on the ring. You know, it's on the inside of my South Atlantic League championship ring is the indention of a, a dragonfly carved into it. Mike Dunn. Uh, we included a dragonfly on our championship ring, so it'll always be with us. And while no one knew it at the time, the 2016 Rome Braves had provided a glimpse of what was to come in Atlanta. The 3-1, and Acuna swings. It's a high drive to left center field. Taylor back at the wall. It is gone! A grand slam for Acuna! 2-2 game, bottom of the ninth. Riley line drive, that is down! A base hit! Here comes Albies, and the Atlanta Braves win game one! And speaking of the 2016 Rome Braves being a sign of things to come. Max Fried won every deciding game in the playoffs. Every deciding game was the same pitcher. And if you look at the history of baseball, certainly in minor league, I'd venture to say that omen, that, that doesn't exist. One pitcher winning the division, winning the division, the second half, and the championship came from one guy. And remarkable, remarkable pitching. Randy Engel. 
I mean, he just stepped up. He, he showed something that second half, especially in those playoffs. He wanted that ball. He wanted it. He he showed me right there. He proved something and then showed that he was a big-time pitcher, a big-game pitcher. And when they were playing uh, in the World Series and all that, you know, I'm thinking that, telling people, I said, that's who you want. Back to Freed. To second for the out on the first. Got them both. And a 1-6-3 double play turned by Freed. How about that? A strikeout starts the fifth, and that's three strikeouts for the lefty Freed, who is cruising. Here's one right side. Albies to his left. What a job by Max Freed. 0-2 pitch. Wow, what a job by Max Freed. The gut fire and the sure will and, you know, the competitiveness is certainly something that you don't train and you can't build. You have either have it, you don't. And he certainly exhibited that as a young professional player in the minor leagues and took it all the way to the biggest stage of the game, which is the World Series. So uh, no doubt that he could do it, no doubt that he would do it, and just an honor to have seen a little bit of history with him as a youngster. You know, watching Max in the clinching game, it's like, well, he's been in this position before. I'm not equating a clinching game in the World Series to a clinching game in the South Atlantic League playoffs. Obviously, it's a very different stage. I get that. But it's something that was in the kid's DNA. He was a winner. He knew how to – there's an art to being able to put the nail in the coffin and choke a team out, and he did it. And he just has a knack for being able to slam the door. To first, As Kevin Carroll and Randy Engel watched the Atlanta Braves win the 2021 World Series, they couldn't help but to think back to 2016. It was a, a special group of guys, and um, I didn't know when they won it, you know, and I'm standing there soaked in um, Welch's grape juice. I didn't know in New Jersey that that was a team that was going to win the World Series five years from then. Um, but I you could have talked me into it knowing how talented that group was and um then watching them have a very very similar run in some ways um to being considered you know entering the world series entering the playoffs that year the Braves were kind of an afterthought they were i think won 88 games in the regular season um fewest wins of any playoff team and just kept finding a way to, to get it done. Didn't have Acuna, you know, counted out and by some folks, and uh, they did it. Oh, gosh. Um, so good, so good. I mean, I, I was having flashbacks because I saw them do it that year in 2016 and against some very good ball clubs, even though it's in the minor leagues. But, uh, yeah, they. Uh, I saw them. I saw them that year, and they did the same. They were doing the same thing there, and uh, I was having flashbacks, and I just uh, felt so proud and and all all of them. For all those who were a part of the 2016 Rome Braves, be it on the field, in the dugout, in the front office, in the stands, or in the broadcast booth, it was a season that they will never forget. Kevin Carroll. I remember feeling like I was lucky to have been on that team and it was a you know baseball sport any sport really um what happens in that season is a snapshot in time and there's no way to repeat it that individual group is unique to itself and to that season and that was such a unique thing to have that many 
guys that were huge prospects that were first round picks that were um, and even some guys that were prospects who weren't as well known at that time like Ronald Acuna Jr. 13 total players who appeared for that team ended up making uh, the major leagues. Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, Max Freed, Mike Soroka, Tuki Toussaint, Colby Allard, A.J. Minter, Ricardo Sanchez, Juan Yepes, Chad Sabatka, Adam McCreary, Jacob Webb, and Patrick Weigel. Jonathan Sherholtz. Seeing those guys get drafted, acquired via trade. There was a lot of shrewd moves that were made to stock our farm system. And I don't think anybody really knew that they would come as fast as they did. So to see, and to see them have success together at that level sets a, set a great foundation for them to understand what championship baseball was and what it felt like. And it was really great to see that group end up moving on together. Mike Dunn. Talented fun, an incredible team, incredible leadership. A run for the ages. It was, it, we got on the bus and didn't come back until we won. Jonathan Sherholtz. I mean, it was just such a special year um, with that group of guys. Um, I mean, you look up and down the roster, I, I would struggle to find another South Atlantic League or, or low A team that has that many, not just major league players, but impactful major league players that end up going through their time in the minor leagues and then impacting a major league roster in such a way that that group did. It was awesome. Austin Riley. You know, it was my first full season, uh, you know, as a professional baseball player and, and, you know, a lot of ups and downs for me personally. But, um, you know, we had a really good group of guys, guys that, you know, I'm still playing with. Um, just a lot of young talent and, and the coaching staff was great. And, you know, it was, um, you know, I think that was that first that, that was like the first like real print of like the Braves way and like winning and, and championship mindset for, for me. Max Freed. Special group. Uh, my first full season in uh, with the Braves after getting traded. And I think it was, a. I mean, looking back at it now, I feel like it was a lot of the kind of the firsts for everyone. Um, First time I played with a lot of a lot of these guys that I'm still playing with today. So to be able to look back and have so much history and uh, you know just remember the the bus trips and the you know just the grinding coming up through the minor leagues with these guys. It's uh, it's really special. AJ Minter. But looking back, I think this is the model that teams should should uh, model their organization after. Is you know bringing in. Um, drafting guys and bringing them up through the organization together and um, it, it was just a it, I think that what separates us from other organization is just the core um, like I said we came up together we went through the whole minor leagues all the way up to the big leagues and it's just a sense of that brotherhood that camaraderie um, something that you can't really put a, a dollar figure on Kevin Carroll. It was just such an amazing group of guys, and I felt fortunate that I had gotten to watch them all grow up together on that Rome Braves team. And uh, getting to know them as people was wonderful. You know, being, it was just so much fun to go to work every day. And, you know, to see Randy Engel, to see Bobby Moore, to see uh, Dan Meyer and all those coaches. And um, it was just, uh, something I'll remember and cherish for the rest of my professional career. Randy Engel. One of the biggest improvements in the 
best team I've managed, some really, really good teams, but probably the best team with the most talent that I've ever been associated with. We hope you've enjoyed Behind the Braves Presents, Win in Rome. And be sure to check out other episodes of Behind the Braves featuring interviews with Atlanta Braves players, coaches, front office personnel, famous fans, and much more. Special thanks to Max Freed, Randy Engel, Kevin Carroll, A.J. Minter, Austin Riley, Jonathan Scherholtz, Franco Garcia, Jared Burleson, and Justin Franklin. When in Rome was narrated and edited by Ricky Mast and was brought to you by executive producers Ricky Mast and Greg McMichael. 